0: hey guys welcome 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 happy sunday hope everybody had a great weekend let me get adjusted here for a second i lost track of time again see that happened last weekend too Give everybody a few minutes to come in my name is charlotte i'm going to be your host for the next hour or so we're going to be reading from a great book from by my good friend anna maria Manolo. and it's a fascinating book about haunted heirlooms you know if anybody's ever had antiques or purchased antiques. They understand because sometimes they come with visitors visitors attached to them people that adored them when they bought you know people that adored them when they originally had them and sometimes it happens right you know you start you buy these things and excuse me a second okay you buy these things and strange things start happening in your house or wherever you happen to be wherever you happen to put them we're wherever you know you happen to be living and uh Boom, That's, it. just it escalates from there, right? And I apologize to my listeners on Next Door because I did not get a chance to get everything teased over to them. So I apologize. So hopefully they'll come anyway. Um, hopefully you guys are listening. You know, it's just a reading thing. And uh, eat, eat your dinner while you're listening or whatever you need. <laughs> but uh, I've been busy. I've been very, very, very busy today. I've been resting too, you know, I've been really sleepy and stuff and yeah, took the dog out, had some fun, got her exhausted yesterday and then I fell asleep last night and didn't get anything done. So I'm trying to make it all up today. That's what happens when you do that stuff. But I hope you are all having a good weekend. It's uh, we're at the end of summer, got a few more hot days left and then that's it. In fact, it's kind of funny because. Tuesday it's supposed to cool down here and then I think it's Wednesday we have a cooler day and then Thursday it's going to heat up again then it's going to cool down it's like the heat's just trying to hang on to that last semblance of of summer right and then it's going to all disappear and it's going to be all marvy use the word marvy nice and cool it'll start draining down and what's funny is that it's like an instantaneous change here like we'll go a week maybe two weeks where it's, it's it's somewhat warm during the day and then all of a sudden the minute it gets right into Halloween. The minute you get around the ha- halloween, maybe the 30th, 31st, boom, it turns cold. It's that. It's, it's that quick here. So, yeah, I like the cold weather too, but I like the spring anyway. So, I see you guys popping in and popping out. Uh, don't worry about it. We're gonna get started here. A couple more minutes. Give t- give people time to come in. So we're reading this book, and this book is really cool. I mean, the the first chapter was cool. It was it was It was Anna Maria's own Anna Maria's own, own um, recollect recollection of when she bought a haunted chair, and she took it to her college dorm, and she had issues with it. Apparitions attached, you know, poor the poor, you know, poor souls attached to it. So you know that was the first book. Let me uh, shift this around a little bit, and I hope the camera stays on because my USB. I have to clean out my USB thing or something with it. Um, I know computers. I just call them things because I don't feel like dealing with with issues. Uh, But, yeah, you know, she had brought home that that haunted chair, which they got rid of. And now we're talking about a haunted urn. Somebody, you know, found this urn, display urn. I love, you know, my mother had urns. You know, but I'm talking the big kind. You You know, the tall kind. Well, that's probably what this was, too. The tall kind that you might put like my mom used to put pussy willows in them or she put cattails in these urns and I think there's still one in the shed that she had that that we put umbrellas and stuff in there you know for you know rain umbrellas and, and stuff so in my dad's canes you know so storage for that because they're, they're big enough to put stuff in and this is what these essentially I think I think this the way I understand the story this is what these people bought not knowing but but it was sealed not knowing that there were other things going on with this thing. So that's what we're going to read about today because we left off in chapter 20 and that's where, 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 where we're about to continue. Today is with chapter 20 of this urn. Hey, if you're watching from Facebook and you enjoy this read, please um, hit that like button. Okay? Or hit that follow button rather because, you know, I'm, I'm looking for followers. If you're watching from YouTube, there's that little ghost down in the bottom right-hand corner with the magnifying glass and the Sherlock Holmes hat on. Please hit the subscribe button if you enjoy these these Sunday reads. Because we do other shows too. It's not just Sunday Read. I mean, 450 shows ago, we're in our second season. We're about to go to our third season, you know. And and we got shows on almost every paranormal topic, every kind of other type of topic that you can think of. So there's something there for everybody, all right. So if you could do that, I'd really appreciate it. Uh, if you're if if you've got a hold of this show, you're over at YouTube. and You're on Instagram. I'm Ghosty Gal on Instagram. Go ahead and uh, follow me on Instagram as well. I'm looking for followers on Instagram. I'd really appreciate it. Okay, 6:35. Let us continue. So here we go. What's going to happen is it's a PDF, so it's off. It's it's on different. It's on a different screen. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to be reading anyway. So that's what you guys can see. So you can go eat, you know, go have coffee, eat your dinner or whatever, because I'm just going to be reading off this PDF. It's not on my uh, tablet like uh, like the other books. So I'm going to go over there right now. And if I make faces, (laughs) it's uh not on you guys. I actually figured out a way to make it larger so I can read read it. Okay, chapter 20, and it starts out. This is Hocus Pocus. Augustine appeared into Vilma's bedroom, astounded. The woman had purchased crosses and nailed them to four sides of her bedroom, added pictures of saints all around the walls of her small Spartan room, and the scapular was nailed to the door. Vilma was frantic and asked for them all to vacate the house until whatever plagued them had passed. Augustina told her they would stay. Until whatever was okay. Augustina told her they had to look down, sorry. Augustina told her they would stay, but she was free to go to her sisters if she felt she was safer there or somewhere else. Loyal as ever, Vilma opted to stay. She baked cookies and made a cake, busying herself while Stanley discussed what needed to be done, then left unannounced. Later that evening, she returned, praying as she entered, a rosary around her neck with a plastic bag filled with plastic crucifixes, which she distributed to them. She had just returned from the local parish priest who had given them to her after they were blessed. Mops was whining, waiting to be fed. But Vilnish, whenever he went potty, for fear that the creature would return. While Vilma walked the dog on the street, well away from the house, Celia texted as Augustina watched. What are you texting, Cindy? I told her not to come home yet. She's staying with friends until we clear this up. Good, thank you. Mom? Yeah? I need to talk to this lady. What lady? This lady. Celia turned her cell phone around to show a series of text messages. Claire what? She's an angel guide. She can tell us what to do way before Jean. You want me to talk to an angel person? Augustina gazed back at her daughter in consternation. She's a guide, a trans-sensitive. Please hold off on the censorship, Mom. Silence. Mom, please, just give her a try. She might know what to do about about a haunted antique. Just in case Jean doesn't come up with a solution. Behind them, Vilma was removing her jacket, unleashing the dog. I think I know what it is, ma'am. Vilma was pale. Have you seen it? No, ma'am. But if it imitates me, then it's... What is it, you think? Celia ventured. It's an Aswang. Celia googled Aswang. She turned the cell phone for her mother to see. Silence. Okay, dear, how do I get a hold of this angel lady? Chapter 21 A plan had been settled upon before they left for the angel lady. The house would be left empty to assure no one was left alone. Celia would take mops and head to see high school friends with her boyfriend, while Augustina and Vilma went to see Claire. Stanley would, as usual, tend to the store. At night, Celia would sleep in a spare cot in Vilma's room, instead of sleeping alone in her room. Celia also moved Mop's dog bed into into Vilma's room so the two of them could watch over him. Vilma was glad for for the company, and the crosses she nailed to all sides of the room gave her comfort. It allayed Augustina's concern that her housekeeper might entertain leaving their employ for what appeared to be a temporary situation. They would stay together no matter what. Claire, the angel lady, was a middle-aged woman who looked like Goldie Hawn, but very serious. Simply dressed in jeans and a woolen sweater that appeared to have been tossed at a thrift store, she commandeered the entire third floor of a Vietnamese restaurant in Chinatown section of the city. Augustina negotiated a series of three steep staircases with film in tow. The door of the suite of rooms on the third floor appeared simple. An apartment that spanned the entire floor. As Claire explained, she and her daughter's family, plus in laws, shared the floors and owned the restaurant on the ground floor, with the second floor used for storage and bookkeeping. Images of cow Dai, I hope I said that right, the region the family subscribed to, were all over the living room areas, particularly a poster of a triangle with an eye in the center. When Augustine entered with Vilma, The simple and charming woman told him that she'd gotten some background information about the haunted urn from Celia, who was in college with Claire's son, Edwin, thus the common bond. The next bond that cemented the arrangement was the fact, according to Claire, that she too had dealt with the family haunting when her grandmother had passed away alone on the second floor of the building, which they now used as a restaurant storage area and break room for the restaurant employees. Her grandmother had dabbed in some form of a spiritual practice that had apparently attracted the wrong variety of spirits. However, the urn was different, as they did not know whose remains were in the urn or the nature of the creature in the garden. The eerie being that had materialized in Augustina's bedroom was a serious concern, as it had been inside the house in the dead of night. Claire appeared pretty up front and down to earth as much as Augustina immediately felt less less suspicious. The woman's demeanor also related. Even Vilma, who was a staunch Catholic, was immediately impressed by the woman's frankness. She considered the woman a godsend at a time when they had an evil spirit in the home. Augustina was amazed that Vilma did not become suspicious of the woman, who was essentially a Buddhist. Vilma prodded her employer to share all the stories of their encounters while the woman Claire made tea and lit some sage which she placed in a pot by the window. It smelled sweet, and Augustina thought it might be marijuana until she saw the stalks, which resembled her own herbal plant in the kitchen. Claire explained that she normally didn't use sage, but thought it was a western touch that might put them both at ease. She became more absorbed when Augustina intimated that the dog-like creature in the garden had been seen by Stanley and having yellow eyes. Vilma's doppelganger, a dead ringer, Materializing by the door to the couple's bedroom was a serious concern. Claire agreeing that it might be an asswang or a shapeshifter, as Vilma had previously noted. Then Vilma told her about the skunk-like scent. The urine came in, and the oily soot that was all over Augustina's hands on the carpet, and later clung like glue to Celia's jeans. Claire called it ectoderm or ectoplasm, and Vilma googled it on her mobile. Claire corrected her and indicated it was ectoplasm, usually a substance that was a presence to the appearance of a spirit. A precursor, I'm sorry, a substance that was a precursor to the appearance of a spirit. I'm going to enlarge this a little more for me. There we go. Claire ushered them into a small dining room where the windows had a view of the city veiled in late spring mist. There were Buddhist symbols on the walls and then the triangle with the eye again. Tea was steaming and ready. So as Claire served the tea, she explained that the symbol meant the third eye, or discernment. And she felt both Augustine and Vilma had the ability which allowed them to see the creature, and then later, the Phantom of Vilma. Feeling responsible for bringing the situation upon her family, Augustina shared her encounter with the antiquarian in a shop in Krakow, and regretted how they'd acquired it without thinking of opening the top, which had been sealed for some mysterious reason. In her haste, she she hadn't paid attention to her third eye, to her own third eye, as she had a negative feeling upon touching it. Claire listened without interruption and then leaned back, deep in thought. Minutes passed, and finally the woman spoke. You're dealing with an evil spirit. It was guarding the urn and all those signs, the bad smell, the, the evil creature, the specter of what looked like Vilma, the soot or oily substance. Those mean there was something tragic that happened to the person who owned the hand. Evil went over that person and opened a portal to beyond. It showed itself in the familiar form of your housekeeper here, as it was trying to trick you and break the trust that Vilma had earned. Vilma clung to Augustina's arm, hanging on like a child in the aftermath of a nightmare. It doubled for Augustina as a form of reassurance, that the loyalty was unbroken on Vilna's end. Claire resumed. When you brought it to the house, the evil that came with it was angry, being moved and wrapped in a box, so the guard of the iron tore up the box. Then it wanted you to see what you had disrupted. Augustina appeared compelled to convince Claire they were trying to end the nightmare. But we're trying to fix that. My husband took it out of the house into the shop so he can find out how it can be returned. Clara shook her head. Everything on earth is a combination of light and dark energies. Where there is more light energy, there is harmony, love, and joy. I think I know what you may be saying. In this case, there is more dark energy because of what happened to the owner of the hand. So be the light. How? How How can I be the light? Find out what the owner wants, then bring justice to it. And, uh, I'm sorry, then bring justice so it may know peace. Justice, that's huge, Vilma commented. But the evil presence would, Augustina queried. It would leave. It's not attracted to good deeds, Clara assured her. Augustina, so by resolving this for good, you bring about good, and good will dissipate the evil, Claire nodded firmly. But you must not be scared. Evil feeds on fear. Okay, we won't. We won't be fearful, Augustina nodded. You must fix what you upended, regardless of what evil spirit tries to do. Tell us what to do, and we'll try. Chapter 22. The urn remained in the basement of the shop until Stanley, with the help of Jean, his assistant, was able to finally connect to the owner of the store in Krakow. The urn, is, the urn itself turned out to be, as they knew, a genuine Qing dynasty antique. However, as it passed hands, it became a decorative urn owned by a Hungarian family sometime in the 1930s. This family appeared to be of considerable health. Uh, I'm sorry. Oh my gosh, this family appeared to be of considerable wealth and was a patron of the arts including providing a venue for exhibits of fine antiques. They lived with opulence and culture in the Buddha side of Budapest, Budapest, a haven of culture and art. Like Augustina and Stanley, the family was repressed. I mean, was, I don't know what I'm thinking. I'm sorry. Like Augustina and, and Stanley, the family was respected in the community and entertained a lot. Then World War I descended on, on Hungary. Despite the news of the invasion of Poland, the family took the massacres with a great assault, refusing to believe the enormity of the genocide their neighbor up north was experiencing until it was too late. After Poland fell to German hands, the Reich massacred city after city, village after village, reaching the Hungarian capital, where they looted, raped, and laid waste to the grand palaces and mansions, the restaurants and cultural centers that made the grandeur of Budapest famous eventually the urn came into the possession of fleeing locals who witnessed but survived the brutality of the german forces taking the remains of the hungarian elite whom they envied the armies not only plundered the homes they killed and butchered the families in their homes filled with hate the armies of the reich took goods they they coveted and left behind the priceless porcelain which they considered inferior in the case of the urn It had been decorated and made by Chinese artisans. Non-Aryans, in Nazi vernacular, they butchered the owner and his family, reportedly forcing pieces of their remains into the pottery in various vases from far off China. Thus the urn and others like it became vessels for human remains. In this case, the remains of the owner's hand, the atrocity meted upon the generous patron for the arts, Whose philanthropic hands were a source of envy and hate on the part of the Third Reich. Once the war ended, the scattered remnants of life, of a life once well lived, were looted, re and resold. The urn, undoubtedly, among other objects, was discovered and salvaged as a piece of antique by locals. Somehow it made its way south to Poland and eventually to an antique shop in Krakow, sealed and then opened until the next owner. Although the dealers and the Although the dealers Augustina Stanley and their colleague Jean were able to discover the urn's history, they were unable to locate the owner of the skeletal remains. The Hungarian store owner had come upon it at an outdoor venue. Unable to track down the family or find out if anyone anyone was still alive, they decided to give the skeletal hand, resealed in the urn, a Catholic burial. Stanley flew to Budapest with the urn as a hand-carry, praying he would be protected as he flew. There. He met with the shop owner, who had sold the urn to them, and together they made the arrangements to inter it in a cemetery for victims of the Holocaust. As soon as the rites were given and Stanley gave his last respects, the visions of the specter in the garden, the sense of the ectoplasm disappeared back in Massachusetts. Vilma's image no longer showed itself anywhere in the house. Vilma remained at the house and and now content to watch the dog in the garden. And taken for walks without looking over her shoulder, Celia is now an anthropology professor in her own right, specializing in folklore and world religions. It was opportune for Celia to return home for summer break when all the phantoms were manifesting for, from the urn. She provided the solutions. It was, it was all about timing. Okay, part three of the little I want to add something to to this, and uh, it's something that I learned. Uh, we visited Hungary. When I was about twelve, thirteen years old, something like that, maybe younger. And um, to hear Adam and Maria talk about the uh, you know the history of the, of the earth itself, about you know the priceless stuff get, getting taken by the Germans and stuff, um it's true. Uh, we we visited this church, and um, the priests at this church told us that they had mock funerals at this church because the not because the Reich was coming through. And either taking or burning the Bibles and all the holy books and stuff. So what they did was they took the pews because they didn't have any wood, right? Because it was all being seized. They took the pews and and turned the pews into caskets. And they put all the uh, holy books in the caskets and all the, not only that, the cups and everything that the church would use, you know, during their ceremonies. They all went into caskets. And then they had these mock funerals and buried them. And then after the war, they dug them all up and they were able to save all their stuff. So that's just kind of an aside for this book. All right, I'll continue. The part three, the lithograph. Lithography. A printing process using a flat stone or metal plate in which the image areas are worked using a greasy substance so that the ink will adhere to them while the non-image areas are made water repellent. The Tate Gallery. chapter 23 sam when i first saw that print boy he said that's going when i first saw that print boy he said that's going to sell on the first day dan chuckled looking professional as usual in his rimless glasses and trim beard he sat content at our dinner table and waiting dessert i chuckled back in the company of old friends I, yeah i chuckled back in the company of old friends comfortable with the rituals that came with aging in the company of each other outside the streetlights reflected the setting frost that had just begun to accumulate on the narrow street stone and brick home sat waiting for more of winter's grace i stood up to grab more wine and surveyed the two-tier pedestal of cakes and sweets as i passed the pale excuse me the pale celadon green sideboard from the Van vancloose region of france the array of cakes glinted made more gracious by the vintage royal albert china a rare one called midnight rose two tiers of deliciousness i reached for the 25 year old bordeaux and pulled the corkscrew from the baker's rack the chandelier accentuated my wife alice's gold-flecked diamond studs as she cleared away the dinner tables with the ever-helpful melinda mel for short dan's wife of twenty-two, i'm sorry yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Age 96. Oh my gosh, i am losing it. Mel's Dan's wife of 22 years. What is going on with me tonight? With two kids in college. <laughs> they had reached the pinnacle of a career like us, as dealers of antiquities. My beautiful children were all so grown with their large hands and feet and the rest of their bodies off to some oh, off to some college. My wallet in their pockets and my heart full of memories. Time ticked fast, running away with our youth, with our own parents feeling even older, like the vintage items and antiques we sell. Businessmen and businesswomen they were, my parents, the grandparents of our children. We travel, buy, sell, and collect all the world's heirlooms, misplaced objects of great rarity and value. As we talk business, Dan fell into a nostalgic moment as he lifted a forkful of Millet Filleux. I'm trying. A French pastry made with layers of phyllo dough. I poured more wine as Alice signaled with one hand to stop. I smelled the coffee brewing and corked the bottle, almost gone. Dan had been studying me. Finally, he leaned over. He leaned over and whispered, Would you like a rare print? Would you like the rare print? But I thought it would be but I thought it would sell in a flash. I asked surprised. Dan exchanged a nervous tick a strange one in the world of ticks when a couple used to their ways mimic each other's facial expressions. Mel replied with a tick across the table as she sat back and down to reach for some cake. It would but I think it's best if you had it as it's your style. Where did you find it again? Some shop on our last trip to New York. It's a lithograph. Or some, Middle East, or some Middle Eastern country. That tick again. Mel ticked back, a tad nervous. Did you bring it, I said. It's in the store. I'm giving it to you, we decided. I was taking it back. We didn't usually give away antiques unless it was a special occasion. This was just dinner at the end of a hectic month. Dan, how much? Seriously, I'm giving it to you. Alice sat back down. Arms on the table, pensive. How old is it? It's old, believe me. Mel nodded in agreement. It's at the store, but Dan can drop it off next week. Alice smiled. Oh, Mel, that's too generous of you both. Dan winced. It needs to be wrapped, protected from the elements. Of course, I said. It must be pretty special. Are you sure? Alex ventured. Alice ventured. Yes, we are. That tick again. You can bring it at, at your shop. You and You can hang it at your shop and keep it covered. Dan glanced at Mel when he said this. I'll hang it here at home. It's a gift from friends. A few weeks later, a parcel arrived and was left at our front door. I opened it immediately, and there it was a frame lithograph of a castle, a grand one like you would see somewhere in France or Germany, with spires and turrets, and a grill on a swing in the act of swinging in the foreground. Pale, muted tones, as if it was painted in watercolors. Beautiful. I called Dan to thank him and got his message machine. Dan, it's exquisite. I must give you something for this. Days went by and no callback from Dan. Well, thank you, Dan, I thought. So generous of you. This looked very expensive, if not rare. 1800s. It seemed, or even older. Strange that the artist didn't sign it. I showed it to my parents, who smiled but didn't really look, as they were both getting cataract surgery. That's great, son. It's great to have good friends in the business. I hung the framed lithograph proudly showcased in the drawing room by the baby ground where my father usually, usually sat when they visited us here in Kittery. That was where Dad sat after we picked them up from, from the hospital, after both Mom's eyes were as clear as a pristine stream after her surgery. She marveled at how she saw now with the eyes of a child, and how like a child everything, and how like a child saw everything again, greedily taking in everything like a candy store on a Saturday outing. She entered the drawing room, enthralled with what she could see, and paused when she got to the print. Dad walked over, one eye clear, the other still awaiting surgery. He too peered at the lithograph. Then he frowned as she froze. That was the last time I talked to Mom and then they were dead. Chapter 24 I tried, as best I could, to get rid of it. That was why I was there again in the late fall of 2011, when everything and everyone was gone, dead or dying, like this, our old parents' summer house at the edge of the Bar Harbor. The house itself seemed to be dying, not literally, but unless I got it repaired, it might in fact fall apart like my parents did. In the space of one summer, one suddenly had a heart murmur, and then the next week, that pale and dry summer, the pale and dry rose garden of my mother finally yielded buds, and my mother gave way to a heart attack right after her cataract surgery, right after she studied that lithograph. Dad died right after her, and my siblings thought it was from a broken heart. Now they were both gone, and my heart was broken, feeling betrayed by their sudden deaths, and the betrayal of two good friends who gave us a gift, a gift we did not want. Why? First, I needed to sell what was my children's grandparents' summer mode, being the oldest. It was cold enough, and no one, Jerry, Jerry Sabone or me, wanted to drive up there to this town, this house, which presented us with an even briefer summer than Kittery. None, none of the kids liked it back then and even now. Jerry's girls hated the drafty isolation. Saboan was Saboin. My two natural siblings, who came shortly one year after another after I was adopted, agreed we should sell it. Sam, Jerry, and baby sister Sabowan always agreed on everything. Since the parental summer, since the summer house was always dark, dreary, and cold, I thought I'd bury the print up there, like like a tracks like. A dark, dreary place deserved a dark, dreary print. Forgive me, Mom, Dad. I know you wouldn't. I know you wouldn't and would call it a waste to do that to a rare antique. Our values are just so vastly different. You'd say sell the print, that lithograph. But Alice and I just want it gone. It is just way too coincidental how you saw that print right before you both died. But there's more. Mom and Dad, the, lith- the lithograph walked back to the house. Really. Sam, our beloved son, Yes, I can almost hear you ask that question. Mom, I never did get to ask you where where you saw. Or I never did get to ask you what you saw, Mom. Now it's too late. Chapter 25. Alice left work early, ridden with a headache she couldn't shake. She ascended the stairs to our bedroom, shaking off her work outfit. With the tartan pants and houndstooth scarf I'd given her last Christmas, she slipped into a comfortable jogging suit with a pink hoodie borrowed from Jean, our older daughter now and Sal, now and Sal Regina, majoring in our history. Then she decided to take a nap and opted for the comfortable sofa face in the fireplace in the family room. Across from her, she had a view of the baby grand and the rest of the drawing room beyond. Around 2 p.m., 2 p.m., I got a call on my phone. Hun, are you busy? Alice, feeling better, and then take a breath. I am not, but I need to ask you a question. Go ahead. I thought you hung that lithograph in the store. I paused, walked out from behind the counter, and looked across the adjacent room where several articles of furniture sat. I added on the wall, wearily approaching, as I held the cell phone to my ear. I stood a few feet away, managing not to stare too long. I did. I'm looking at it. Silence. I'm looking at it now. A creepiness inched up my spine as I heard Alice's voice tremble. I breathed in. Take a picture and text it. Now. Okay. Silence. A chime issued from my mobile. I looked down. There. It was a lithograph. The drawing room wallpaper of fluted, a fluted lease showed behind the corners of the framed print. Perturbed, discomfited, in awe. Words that describe me in the moment of silent hysteria. No. Alice, don't look at it. I'm coming home. I put the cell phone down, examining the unexamable. I compared it against what Alice just texted me as an, Im- as an image. How could we have two now? What in the hell? I glanced around, making sure there, there were no customers, not even my manager at the store. Then I took it off the wall, face down, and into a drawer behind the counter. I locked it. Then I drove home, my head swimming. At home, I had torn it from its nail and told Alice a lie. Yes, hun, I forgot to bring it to the store. Sorry, hun, I was so busy, I am now getting forgetful. Behind her, I tried to tear it up. Then, I looked at it. It wasn't the same print. Fudge this. It evaded my hands, flying to the floor. I smashed the empty frame, glass shattered, onto the wool carpet. Sorry, Alice, buttered fingers today. Tired. She walked away. And then I looked at the print again. It was a child's crown drawing, jeans. I was destroying my own daughters 3rd grey art. Fudge. I was now hallucinating. Alice was now hallucinating. My parents must have been hallucinating. I think not. I promised myself it would go, even though it was rare. There was the there was only one place left, your summer house. Your summer house, Mom. Sorry. I buried the drafted print in your, by your rose bushes. Mom? After what Alice and I experienced. A twin lithograph? Yeah, right.
1: We were only given
0: one, even if there may have been a dozen. Impossible. How could it be? A static image duplicating itself and locating. Nope. Alice will never know this. Never. It would scare the living crap out of her. What the hell did you give us, Dad? What did I ever do to you? Don't look at it, Alice. Please. Should I tell you it's changing right before my eyes? So I hurried it up there. That summer house where you dreamed of your golden years, Mom and Dad. We're selling your property anyway. We're not being ungrateful. Believe me. I tried to sell it. But we were just about breaking even. Ever since a bunch of customers saw... You Dan, Mel, you knew it too, but you. I'm afraid to use that word, guys, because of censorship. Okay, so we're just gonna go with that. <laughs> Chapter 26. <laughs> I know that's not what the guy said. I placed it in in the Nook, turned some lights on in a cold, drafty kitchen, alone with my thoughts. I had not slept since I buried it up here, just to get rid. Since I buried it up here just to get rid of it, since it wouldn't tear. I almost forgot about it and then one night I thought could have sworn it was lying on the floor of our bedroom. What kind of paper wouldn't tear her? What kind of print would walk back to our house from being buried an hour more away? What kind of print would return to us when I had hung it at the store? I could come out just to make sure it was deteriorating. Paper does that. I even took it out of the frame and all. I swear the print came back like a cat that was tossed miles away and found its way home. I picked it up. Don't look. I rolled it up. Stuck the print between my two large logs, threw some leftover coal from the last family barbecue into the mix, and lit it. Up the fire went, with all three logs ablaze, reflecting the golden brass of the fireplace screen. Crack, crack, crack. I sat back on the word stained Turkish carpet and gawked in my L. L bean duck LL bean duck shoes, which in my haste I neglected to take off in the mudroom. Duck shoes were important. I didn't care. I was and It helped me relax. Got my mind off the dreaded print. Then the then the grass on the shoes. Grass sticks to everything. And the offensive the practical shoes just made green, sti- green striation marks on the wool. Mom would have been furious, knowing how she felt about the carpet. I'd have to roll it up and sell that too, though it wasn't an antique like the rest of the furniture in the house we all were up in. The grass stains were all over my sweater, which was undoubtedly from my efforts to dig out when I had buried weeks ago. I just had to dig it up and make sure it was degraded, but degraded it didn't. What kind of paper was it on? I wondered. The print was still vivid. That's when I took it out of the frame. So I was wet, dirty, and feeling like a gravedigger on a Friday afternoon. Or someone who went clamming. Hmm, clams. Gotta get some of that. Focus. I went to look out the window, then turned on the lamps and looked out again. And the gloaming, I could still see the Volvo, which was blue, turned almost black in the menacing dark. My head hurt, pounding to the tune of some melody I was struggling to grasp and recall fully. Stress does that. I went back to the fireplace, and that was when I saw what I could only describe as sinister. The print somehow flew out of the fireplace and was now lying on the carpet right where I had just sat a few minutes ago, totally unblemished by the fire, stretched out like I never rolled it. I approached it and prepared to pick it up by the edges, but I couldn't get myself to look at it, as it was face up. What would I see this time?" Just then, someone was pounding on the door. I took a few long strides, now high with what must be a lack of sleep, or too much driving. I thought it was my parent's neighbor from the farm. A man, beard unkempt, tobacco breath, and sounding hoarse. Yep, the farmer next door. Hey, hi, am I disturbing you? I asked. Heck no, I'm Bill. I live up the... Uh, hi, yeah, Bob. No, Bill. Just checking as I saw the light and thought they were gone. Yeah, I'm here cleaning up. His smile turned into a semblance of sadness. Like he thought they were still alive and was surprised. I'm, um, sorry for your loss. Thank you. It was quick. Uh, for both of them? Um, heart attacks. He nodded, looking around the framed door. His corduroy shirt was partly open, exposing what must have been an undershirt that hadn't seen a clothes washer in months. Okay, call me if you... Thank you, I'm getting something to eat. He waved like he was on a ship setting to sail. Okay, have a good night. Now what was I doing? Oh yeah, the castle in the background, turrets and flags as before, as it always was, even on the day my friend acquired it for the shop. Now... He won't even drive over, let let alone stay, stay, stay for dinner, despite Alice's great cooking and friendship with Mel. What sticks, sticks. It was stuck with me, and I didn't want any part of it. It really, truly scared the crap out of Mel. Oh, thanks, Dan. Some great friend you proved to be. I told you his name, Mom and Dad. But don't dare mention it, as everyone knows him in the antique world. My world. Well, crap. After this... Who knows what world I'd be in? It was the foreground of the picture that bothered me—the one close to the viewer, closest to the viewer, closer to me. I didn't recall seeing a couple there, standing like ramrod straight beings from a bad alien movie. They were both looking right at the viewer, me. No, this was not right. There was something wrong with their eyes—no pupils as if it were some old horror film I was forced to see with friends as a teenager. What was there before? They looked dressed to look like Mom and Dad. No, I knew I was tired. Couldn't be. I should have held on to the picture of the picture. Dad gave me when he brought it at the auction somewhere in New York, he said. He won't even look at me now. He saw something that really and truly got him running out of the store and into his car. What truly frightened me Was that he wouldn't tell me what what he saw or what mel saw he told me its value though finally that got me running to sell it so now he was running from so now what was he running from i know had i'm sorry with me so now what was it what what he was running from i now have with me chapter 27 i was exhausted i was seeing things i would bury it again Not tonight, but come morning. No way in hell's bells was I going out there, especially alone. Alone, or with someone like Dad's neighbor, Brock or Bill or Bob, with the ever filthy undershirt. He would just spread the news that the damn thing was that. Damned. So, Sam, what were you doing in your parents' backyard taking it to at night? Couldn't it wait until morning? Why in such a hurry? Maybe some pancakes, first with great-beam maple syrup from from Genie's. With the blue and white striped awning? Just checking. The lights were on, Sam. So morning it is. I rebury it and sprinkle it with some holy water Alice gave me. Don't worry, Brock, Bill, or Bob. I'm not gossip fodder. And keep those pigs of yours out of my yard. My parents' yard, rather. You with a filthy shirt. Focus. Maybe that was what it is. Or was. I forgot to put holy water on top of it before I buried it. Let me try that. Alice was good that way. She's so resourceful, my Alice, thinking of the holy water. She would know. If she's the good Roman Catholic who raised our children. Me, what did I know? I was a Muslim, though not practicing as much as when when my birth parents were alive. That would have made me five, barely five, when they fled. And who knows how they ended up in Maine, and I got left behind. Can't be a practicing Muslim when you're five bad joke my bio dad and my bio mom as my older son would say if he were with me glad he wasn't here tonight i didn't want to scare him crapless here son take a look at this picture your daddy's been your daddy's friend bought for a song it's going to fetch a hefty price if if you can look at it before we resell it no way don't look i love you son i loved it the business of antiques Then we get stuff like this a lithograph they call it lithograph mom and dad didn't object when i dated and became engaged to alice even though they were episcopalians and alice was italian roman catholic what if alice had been muslim i wonder about that is that why dan and mel sabotaged the friendship because i'm arabic strange thoughts began coursing through my mind and i decided the isolation with the print was playing games with my mental health. I'm glad natural siblings came after me, Jerry and Bowen. I love you. I'd be lost without you. They anchored me and let me know I had the right parents I had the right parents pick me. Don't look at the print, Jerry. And Bowen, please. There we go again with my strange thoughts. Focus. I have to try to sleep. Good sleep unlike last night with the sound of mice under the parental summer house, the unfinished basement, which I dreaded even as a hefty teen. Didn't know there were critters down there. Pay the rent. Critters. Where the hell was I going to put this thing? This lithograph. Maybe the mice could eat it. Put some food on it. Maybe a nice chunk of cheddar. No government cheese for these mice. Hey, that's an idea. The mice could live in the house if they ate this lithograph. Pay the rent. critters, eat this print. Focus, you you idiot. I looked at it again, and now the couple with the eyes had changed. They looked tan like me. As a matter of fact, their hair changed in color too. Their hair was now deep dark brown, almost black. The woman was wearing a headscarf. There was a name for that. It just dawned on me that I'd never been there. Syria. Damascus. Syria. Way before the Aleppo came on the map. There was unrest before El Depot. The houses, made of clay and mud, and the mosaics <clears throat> that were stunningly detailed on the walls that curved to the ceilings of the mosques. I heard it's beautiful. Water fountains, dromedaries, dates. Creepy. What just happened? The background changed right before my eyes. There was no castle now. It was like the buildings you see in Morocco, with, with the minarets. Wait, no, it couldn't be the couple in the foreground was definitely Arabic. what happened to the girl on the swing okay cool it Sam the man get yourself a cheap dinner and relax Xlax <laughs> just get one foot in front of the other on the carpet stain with green grass and go walk out don't look at it the lithograph run I'm so confused chapter 28. The drive to Burger King didn't take long. Stress makes me hungry. It wouldn't take long with my heavy gas foot. Trying to put as much distance as possible between me and that creepy print. The road had been desolate as I made my way down the hill, but the town center just flew miles, just flew miles away. Excluded some semblance of life. There it was, just a few, I'm sorry, just a few miles away. Excluded some semblance of life. There it was, bright as my headlights, as I turned the car to the large parking lot of the strip mall. Relieved to be near civilization, I had sudden change of heart and decided on f- <clears throat> fried whole clams instead. I steered out of the lot, turned back on the elm, and drove the extra three miles to the lobster catch diner. I breathed a sigh, which told me I was relieved to be away from the dreadful print in that dreadful house, in that dreadful stop it, focus. No more strange thoughts. My stomach was gurgling by the time I pulled into lobster catch. It was close to 9 p.m. Right next to thee, it was closed. I need the seafood. Seafood and eat it. Get it? Seafood? I am so flaming starved that my duck boots reminded me of the Peking duck we bought in, we bought in New Year's Chinatown this past summer. The kids loved it. I'm sorry, in New York's Chinatown. What am I saying in this past summer? Maybe, maybe the print's affecting me. The kids loved it. Away from the parental summer home with the mice in the basement. Pay the rent. Eat the print. Or I'll give you government cheese. Focus. There was another restaurant somewhere. Jimmy's Clams. That's it. Just keep driving and get a meal before you go stir-crazy, Sam. You wanted clams? You're going to get clams. Then you're heading back to the parental summer home, even though you don't want to be there ever again and stay the night. Don't mind the critters in the basement. They're there to eat the print, okay? Gas foot. Turn here. You have reached your destination. I switched off the engine by the streetlight curbside and leaned back. The comforting lights of Jimmy's, still full of people. I closed my eyes. Relief. It dawned with keen awareness. I was afraid of being alone. When did that happen? Check on Alice's bottle of holy water from Ward's. Where or where did I? Then I looked down. A piece of paper was stuck on the bottom of my shoe. Wow. What is is this? Don't tell me. Yes, the print was stuck on the bottom of my foot, over the gas pedal. I reached down, snatching it. Then, I flipped it over and realized it was an ad for someone's political campaign. I sighed. Getting jumpy, Sam. Too jumpy. In the bright lights and scents of the New England comfort food... Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> and to the bright lights and scents of New England comfort food. I sat, people watching after, People watching after I ordered what must be the largest whole-fried clam platter, complete with extra tartar sauce, and a side of, and that was when I saw it on the wall, a very similar print. I almost knocked over the gin and tonic I ordered as I strode over the table by, by a wall. I stood almost over the couple who were mining their own privacy as I examined the picture. It wasn't a lithograph, but the background and foreground... Were the same the castle with turrets and red pennants in the background and the girl on a swing and the act of swinging quickly i reached into my pocket for my iphone and took a picture i looked around realized the couple was looking up at me and apologized explaining my interest in the shot the guy actually stood up wiped his beard with a napkin and offered for me to get closer no i'm good now sorry again i walked away and flagged the waitress and asked if she knew who provided the framed photo on the wall, pointing it out, as there were others. No, but the owner is here tonight. Would you like me to ask him to come to your table? Please. Chapter 29 It was close to 11 p.m. by the time I coasted the Volvo back into the driveway of my parents' summer house. I had forgotten in my haste to leave, to turn even one light on, so I was in darkness. The headlights cast an ethereal glow over the front stairs of the house leading to the expansive porch. The front door looked forlorn, and so did the dark, sightless windows, like the sightless couple who stared back at me from from the lithograph front. I was afraid to shut off the engine, but I did. Still seated, I pulled out my cell phone to examine the picture from the restaurant with the help of the driver's side vanity mirror. There it was, the photo I'd snapped of the picture back at the restaurant. I sat there totally dumbfounded. It wasn't the same as my print. Fudge. I must have taken a shot of the wrong print. I must have looked ridiculous, even inebriated. But I knew what I'd seen. I saw the same picture, the same exact one on the lithograph. Lithograph, just inside the house here. Maybe that was why I got a free dinner. The owner of the restaurant looked suspiciously at me, looked, looked again at the picture on the wall, asked the couple to please don't mind us, and looked again at my iphone shot what castle he said i don't see it girl he said same shot same lighting no castle no turrets no flags or a girl on the swing he showed me my own my own iphone yours also shows the guitar guy he said so now i looked again seated in my volvo with the bluetooth and the eight speaker system from bosie perspiring in my armpits and the heat wasn't even on I was looking at a man who held a guitar, a classical guitar, in his 40s, grinning at the camera. A local musician with the name of Rodrigo something, something who played a gig a few months ago. No girl, no swing, no castle, just Rodrigo. I kept examining my iPhone, and it didn't change. Even after I put it down and then put, put in the password to unlock the phone again. Nope, nothing like the dried lithograph. I remembered how I quickly ate my dinner when it came, served by a frumpy-looking waitress. And it looked so good when I ordered it. And when I got it, I ate for the sake of eating it. Extra tartar sauce? Yes. Cocktail? No. Who cares? Meanwhile, as I ate, I kept staring at the framed picture on the wall of Rodrigo the guitarist. The couple finally left, self-consciously, I might add. Here's not looking at you, kid. Later, the owner returned to my table with a look that said pity all over it and told me the meal was on the house and good luck with my cell phone. He seemed to want as much distance from me as Dan, my former friend, did. Fudge you, Dan. I'm out of here. Tonight. I hit the speed dial and Alice's sleepy voice came on. Hey, what's going on? Are you staying? Silence. I was deliberating, as I couldn't find her holy water. Yeah. What happened? Did you burn it? I'm burying it again. I need holy water. I gave you the one from Lourdes. I think it might be in the house there somewhere. You left it here? It's not up here. It's not up here. Silence. She had put the phone down. Minutes passed. The holy water's here. Just put that print back in the ground or burn it. I tried. It's not even scorched. Silence. Did I just shock you, Alice, or are you sinking? Hun? come home and get the holy water, dear. I'll bury it again, but leave it alone this time, if it stays buried, if it stays buried. She yawned, and I knew she was tired. So what are you doing? Are you headed home? It's kind of late. I guess I'm staying, if you are. The priest here said to put it in sacred ground if you can't put holy water on it. I don't want it in our parish, so bury it at a church there. What? Sacred What? Chapter 30 The mice kept me up, scratching the floorboards, the walls, even moving the lithograph. I turned it upside down on the kitchen counter and put some molded cheese from the refrigerator on it. Was it brick or chevre? Stop. The tangential thoughts. I woke up to find the cheese gone, but the picture. They didn't even pee on it. Pay the rent. Pee on the dreaded dra- dra- print. This time I didn't turn it over. No way. I checked my cell phone though. It was still Rodrigo, the guitar player. I Googled sacred ground and drove to the local church. I dashed out of the Volvo and aimed for the rectory, but a man who appeared to be groundskeeper blocked me as I darted from the building's entrance, or for the building's entrance. He indicated that the priest was very busy with masses, and it was a Sunday. Good. I wasn't sure I was going to explain myself. He'd just given me time. I sat in the Volvo as the man walked away. How was I to explain that my wife told me that an antique picture was haunted because some people, my best friend for one, me for another, had seen some strange changes in the picture? Then I had to explain that he, the priest, had to bless it and bury it in the churchyard, or some place considered sacred ground. Alice, always pragmatic, logical, and more level-headed than me, had consulted with our parish priest who insisted upon it. She told the Monsignor it had made me unstable and too, too stressed. It was doing something to me. I was hallucinating. Or Dan, Mel, and I were collectively hallucinating. No, Alice said, not hallucinating. The lithograph is cursed. Her word, not mine. Or maybe it was the Monsignor's. It's feeding on your emotions and making changes as you think. She explained after I told her what and how it changed according to my thoughts. How it didn't rot, even when I put it in the ground weeks ago. Do you want to see it, Alice? No. Just joking. Bless it and keep it up there. Yes, Alice. Come home, Sam. The the store needs tending. Yes, Alice. More antiques are coming. Of course they were. Okay, let me resolve this. No more cursed antiques, please. How am I supposed to know that, dear? Just kidding. Poor of joke. Poor me. Should I tell the priest at all? Then minutes before I drove to the church, Alice called. Hi, honey, I have news for you. I flurried my hair with my, f- with my fingers. Tell me you have a solution, dear. I could hear Alice sigh. I finally got Mel. They would sort of made up and arranged to do lunch the following week. Alice had to beg. Meanwhile, Alice wanted to know what Mel had seen. Mel got emotional. She saw her first baby in the picture, who passed away from a lung infection. The pediatrician failed to diagnose at age four. It was swinging on the swing, like a grown child, except she was only four. How the heck could a lithograph know about something that was the lowest point in her life? How cruel and evil! Dan saw, after thinking about his brother, a man who looked a lot like him, standing like the soldier. That had been before he was gunned down during a tour of duty in Afghanistan. The same swarthy complexion, same uniform, same smile, and they were both thinking avidly about those beautiful people in their lives before looking at the lithograph in the living room, in a frame ready to sell. Ready to sell to an unsuspecting customer to pass on to me if it didn't sell. Then I was going to give it back, and they wouldn't even come to the driveway. Let's keep in touch by phone. We don't want. We don't want it to stick to us. It? Alice, I said, please, they're not friends. Don't have lunch with with her anymore. Alice paused. The line, I thought, went dead. Okay, I'll text her and cancel. I felt better after hearing that. After hearing that, whatever we were thinking imprinted on the print. And it just wasn't me. It wasn't just our family. You, Mom, and Dad. I I wasn't crazy or losing it. It fed on what I was thinking, or who I was thinking about. That was pretty profound, and the friendship was over. I just realized as I sat, as I sat there, what, what I had back there at that summer house. That call from Mel that morning finally gave me the impetus I needed. So here I was, entering a stranger's church in town that I, I dreaded to talk to a priest i never met. Did my parents' teeth? Oh man, it was Roman Catholic. I hope Brock and Bill or Bob didn't walk out as I walked in. Would they let me in? As I was Arabic? It's mean, people. Here goes. Focus. The heavy oak door latched shut. In the coolness of the Nor- Northics, I waited until all the parishioners left, then walked up to the priest. He turned to me in his robe and, stu- and stole with a gaze like I was penitent, asking forgiveness from Jesus Christ. Actually, I felt any of Jesus Christ. Excuse me. I told father what his name, what's his name, everything, from acquisition to attempted sale to the two friends, how it came to be in our house and what had happened to my parents when they saw what they saw. Did you get all that down, father? Then I came back and dug it up after I dreamed it was in our bedroom or or thought I saw it on the floor of our bedroom. Remember how Alice saw, saw it hanging in the drawing room when in fact I had taken it to the store? So I took it up here. Then I had a nightmare that it wasn't decaying. Blah, blah, blah. Then the conversations Mel Mel had with said friends on what our priest said to do. I caught myself repeating myself. I was now thinking in circles. Boy, the priest was looking at me real funny. Sorry, Father. I'm probably the first Muslim on sacred ground you've ever met. More fun than I thought. I'm being sarcastic. He seemed furious. In retrospect, I think he was furious at his own inability to help. Why didn't you just return it? He asked, clear collar all starched and white. That they wouldn't take it. You can't sell something strange like that. We didn't. We couldn't. Of course not, Sam. It's Sam, right? Yes. Sam. It scared people. My wife's friend finally told us everything. Yes, you already told me that. Dan, give it to me instead. You said that already why didn't you keep it buried it didn't stay buried but it was so I discovered when I got up to the summer house the priest rolled his eyes I continued babbling then I was having nightmares that it wasn't rotting like it was supposed to be like my parents are like my parents are rotting like the summer house is rotting like our pets when they're not cremated are rotting are rotting the priest looked at me totally baffled yes father I am as confused as you He paused, looked away, then looked back at me. I had grown agitated. Well, you were afraid, and now your fears have conjured your worst expectation, he said. What's that supposed to mean, Father? I hoped it wasn't rotting. You feared it wasn't rotting, and it answered your fear. Don't curse, please. What do I do now? Let me see. How has this print changed your life? You really want to know? You lost friends? Yes. Your marriage? Not yet. Customers? Yes. Anything else? I need my sanity back. When I said that, the man seemed to relax. Yeah, he knew. May I see it, please? It's at my parents' house. Will you come with me? The man studied me for a few minutes, then appeared lost in thought. I think he was trying to figure out if it was safe to go with me. No, I just want to see it. You may bring it here. All right, guys, that's where we're stopping chapter 31 and uh we will continue next week with the book let me get over here okay we will continue next week with the book um (laughs) i had some slip ups i'm sorry don't know why but uh yeah i think it's a great book it's it's a really good book anyhow tomorrow uh we continue our quest to hit to tomorrow we start the day after tomorrow we're going to start season three but tomorrow's the last show of season two and uh, Ann Bender from uh, Bender Paranormal is going to be with us talking about uh, how a psychic works on investigations. So that should be interesting. And I think you guys are going to get a lot out of that. You know, it's just it's not a case of them just going in and saying stuff's there and let's get rid of it. There's, there's things that, that come into play and all that. So that, that'll be tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. I want to thank everybody for coming tonight. I really appreciate you being here. And uh, I hope you have a great night. And I'm going to call it off early tonight because I'm tired. And uh, see you tomorrow 6:30 p.m. Pacific I'll be here. I hope you're here bye